As we turn our attention to the word of the Lord, let us pray this morning, and then we will read from God's word. Would you bow with me? Would you pray in your heart as I pray out loud for us? Great God in heaven, you are holy and you are worthy. God, you're worthy of all the songs that we can sing. And there will be one day, Lord, just as we sang, where this tongue, this mouth, as imperfect as it is, will lay silent in the grave. And we will have the opportunity in a nobler and sweeter song to sing for eternity of your power and your glory and your majesty of how you have saved us. Lord, we turn our attention and our hearts and our minds, our focus to your word now. We ask that you would teach us that in spite of a weak and frail and insufficient messenger, that you would communicate your message. Lord, that your words would flow forth and that mine might be stopped. Lord, your word and spirit, you moving through the preaching, the teaching, the proclamation of your perfect word, you have the power to encourage us, to challenge us, to convict us, to comfort us all simultaneously. It's an amazing miracle that happens in the midst of preaching. And Father, we pray and we ask as humbly and yet boldly as we know how, that you would speak, that we together would hear from you. Because, Father, we are desperate to hear from you. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You have your Bible this morning, and I hope that you do. I invite you to take and turn with me one last time to Galatians. We will be in Galatians Mostly chapter 6, we're going to grab the last two verses of chapter 5. So we'll be in chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, and then we'll read through chapter 6, verse 18, which is the end of the chapter. If you're looking there in your own Bible, or if you're pulling it up on a phone or a tablet, just remember, Galatians is the beginning of our little acronym that helps us remember some of Paul's letters. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and Romans. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you get to the General Electric Power Cooperative. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We are in Galatians, and you probably will see Ephesians on the other page of your Bible. But if that's not how you're accessing the Word of the Lord, feel free to follow along on the screens. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would encourage, if you're physically able, would you please stand for the public reading of God's Holy Word out of reverence to our Lord and His Word I will read for us chapter 5, verse 25 and following. When I complete verse 18 of chapter 6, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at the book of Galatians, beginning in chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. 
Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we talked about last week, Paul has made that turn in Galatians from very theological, very lofty, abstract ideas and doctrine to very practical, here's how to live in Christ, kind of step-by-step instructions. And so we find more of that as we pick up where we left off last week. One of the things that Paul tends to do in his letters is once you get towards the end, I almost feel like Paul is, is running out of papyrus or running out of paper or whatever you want to say is his writing material because he just starts peppering little commands at us. I don't know if you've ever read through First, First Thessalonians, but when you hit the end of First Thessalonians, Paul just is like, Never cease praying. Uh, don't stop doing this. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray in everything. Don't quench the spirit and uh, pray always. And I mean, just boom, 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 boom. Little popcorn commands as you read. And you're like, whoa, 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 Paul, we just, that's a lot for me to, that's just a few verses. That's a lot for me to crunch in there. He kind of does the same thing here in Galatians. But this last chapter and the, the few verses leading into it really all circle around one Theme. It really all circles around this idea of deception. And so as we read this this morning, I hope that you caught how many times the word deceive even shows up. Multiple times Paul is talking about deception. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I hate being deceived. I, I, I really love the mantra, fool me once, shame on you. Because it really is a shame on you if you've got to fool somebody else or deceive someone else. Fool me twice, shame on me. Now, that's one of those phrases that we say so often that we begin to believe that it's actually in the Bible, but, but it's not there. You can't, like, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 17 and find that there. You know, another phrase that we do that with is, give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. That, I mean, that's a good proverb. That's very smart. It's very wise. Jesus didn't actually say it, though. So, like, we got to stop 
putting words in Jesus' mouth that he didn't say. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, what does that mean if you deceive yourself? If you're deceiving yourself multiple times, then you're the one who is always to be shamed, right? But it's not always us that deceive ourselves. I mean, take, for example, this spring break week. I feel as though I was deceived. I I think maybe I deceived myself, but I I know that there was deception involved. My wife scheduled this beautiful, wonderful day-night trip to Atlanta. We're going to go to Atlanta, we're going to go to Legoland, and then we're going to go to the aquarium. Sounds like a fun trip, right? Well, I'm building myself up for Legoland. This is Legoland, right? I'm expecting like huge roller coasters made out of some sort of reinforced Legos or it's like a regular roller coaster with Lego themed like cars or something. I'm expecting a Six Flag-esque theme park and we're driving and we're driving and we're driving. I'm like, I don't see Legoland in the distance. Jess, what's going on? Babe, we're going to Legoland, right? Yeah, we're going to Legoland and we get closer and then like the GPS says we've arrived. And I'm like, Jess, that's a mall. That's not, that's not Legoland. That's, that's like a shopping mall. You know, that's, that's, there's a parking deck I'm driving into. This is not Legoland's parking deck. I don't, I don't see rides. I don't see roller coasters. And we go inside, and it's a wonderful place. It's a great little place to visit, but it's like four or five storefronts in the mall that they've bought out and, like, made kind of like a cool Lego superstore. That's probably what I'd call it. I'd call it the Lego Superstore with a ride or two, not Lego Land. Don't tell me it's Lego Land. I want roller coasters. I want rides. I was deceived, okay? And, you know, you just never feel good when you're deceived, and you're already on a family trip, so it just adds that extra layer to it. That, I, I guess maybe I'm gullible. I, I get deceived often. I, I thought that I would buy my wife a wonderful Christmas present this past Christmas because I know it takes her a while to dry her hair. And so I saw a commercial for this cool turvy thing that you put up on your head and like you dip your hair down and then you flip it up and wrap it and it said dries your hair in under five minutes and I was like wow she could stand at the mirror and put on her makeup with the little turvy thing on her head and then her hair's dry this is considered of me but as you can tell I know very little about how to take care of hair okay so I buy this thing and it doesn't show up by Christmas deception number one and then when it gets there, Jessica tries it out, and she, I have the sweetest wife, y'all. She's, oh, thank you. Now, this is so thoughtful. Wow, yeah, that, that, that definitely. That, I'm sure that's going to help. So she tries it out just because she loves me, and that's very evident in how she lives her life because she puts up with me. So she puts it on her head, and y'all, I promise you, I'm pretty sure her hair would have dried just just without anything on it about the same speed. I mean, it is absolutely the slowest, most useless piece of cloth that has ever been made or put on anybody's head. So if you see the ad for that, don't buy it, all right? Buyer beware. We could be deceived by other people. It's easy for this deception to enter into our lives. We always have to be sharp and watching. Somebody's trying to get our money. Somebody's trying to lead us astray. Somebody's trying to just slightly misrepresent the truth so that we fall into this deception. But what Paul talks about is when we deceive ourselves. And when we deceive ourselves, it's so much more subtle than that moment of realization when the hair didn't dry in five minutes. It's so much more innocuous. It's subtle and works its way in slowly. And so I want us to look this morning at specifically what Paul talks about in regards to this deception. He says, when we evaluate ourselves, we usually fall in one of three categories. We deceive ourselves. 
And people will deceive themselves into thinking over here that they're absolutely worthless, that there's nothing good that they can do, they have no value, and that there's nothing that they can contribute to society. And then on the other end of the spectrum, people deceive themselves when they're keeping in mind what has just happened in our scripture, all right? Remember that we just walked through the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So as people are evaluating themselves, as we think through how we live for the Lord, sometimes we think there's nothing we can do right. We deceive ourselves in that way. Sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking, yeah, buddy, let me tell you what. I am the model Christian. I mean, I give regularly. I give over and above 10%. I tell you what, that preacher's lucky I'm a member of this church. You know, there's other churches that I could go to. Jake said it. There are some other churches, all the corners of Covington County. They lucky I'm here. Jesus lucky I'm on his team. I pray all the time. Let me tell you, ain't nothing that I do wrong. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Booyah! Got them all. I am the man. This, this is pure deception. So constantly we deceive ourselves. And maybe you fall somewhere in the middle and you're just oblivious. You ever had a friend who's just absolutely oblivious? They say whatever they want to say. They don't think another thing about it. They have no filter. They have nothing. They just boop. And then like everybody is absolutely destroyed by what they said. And they don't have a clue. They're just like, what are y'all all upset about? I don't, I don't understand. You know, like those conversation bombs, they just drop that bomb, explode. Everybody else is going, oh, did he just, oh my God. And then they're just like, I don't know what's going on. I'll tell you what, this has been a great day. They're not arrogant. They're not fighting low self-esteem. They're just oblivious to the world. Folks, these are the three primary ways that we deceive ourselves in our relationship to the Lord. And, and I want us to look at how these are spelled out in this scripture. So we start in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This grabs the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about. Not the fruits, not nine separate fruits, but one fruit of the Spirit. Those who are Christian should keep in step with the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, we are walking in the Spirit, exhibiting more than not love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Not that we do it perfectly. We're going to slip and we're going to step off the path, but our lives walk in a manner that we describe ourselves and people would describe us as being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. So we're walking along that path. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. But there's a danger when we're doing that. Let us not become conceited. That's this camp. Oh, buddy, I am loving. You, man, you, I tell you what, I am patient. Like, when I got to Legoland and they made me wait for stuff, I waited real good. Like, I'm a good, patient person. I've been to Disney World, and then it was hot, and there was a long line, and I didn't cuss anybody out. I am so patient, praise God for me, that I'm so good. Do not become conceited. As we walk in the Spirit, Paul is implying there is a constant temptation for us to move towards being conceited as we live for Christ. And this is the Pharisee syndrome, right? We see people who are striving so hard to be holy, striving so hard to live good Christian lives that they forget that we're just all sinners saved by grace. We're just all sinners on this road together, doing our best 
to follow Jesus, knowing that we'll never be perfect, knowing that the only way we're saved is through Jesus who died for us, knowing that we're going to mess up. But the more righteous we perceive ourselves to become, the more conceited we are tempted to be. And then he follows up with that. Don't provoke one another. Isn't it always the pharisaical of us? And folks, don't think that I'm trying to just talk in such broad terms that none of us personalize this. Isn't it amazing how when Nathan is pharisaical, insert your own name, isn't it amazing when you are pharisaical how you and I provoke one another because we perceive our righteousness to be greater than the righteousness of others. We're in this camp and we become conceited and provoke one another and then fall victim to envy. So he moves. People are going to slip. People are going to fall, but he moves into if anyone is caught in that transgression, if anybody is aside, those who are spiritual should restore them in a sense and a spirit of gentleness. But then that last sentence, keep watch on yourselves. Why would Paul write, keep watch on yourselves after he just said, don't be conceited? He reinforces the same idea. Don't get so puffed up in yourself. And if you're restoring someone who's veered off the path, then do it in a sense of gentleness and remember all the while that you are a sinner because the temptation is to fall into the same sense of conceited, arrogant cockiness. That's why there's a double warning. Bear one another's burdens. Don't hold yourself up above somebody else. Bear their burden so that you won't be tempted, so that you won't be conceited. Bear their burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's beautiful here is that all of this is cased in this conversation about the law of Christ. We are free from any surgical procedure to be a Christian. Ceremonial, ritual laws, we're free but there's still a morality that God expects us to strive after, a law of Christ. And as we are restoring others, it is so tempting for us to fall into that same camp. As we are living for Christ, it is so tempting for us to say, well, I am following the law of Christ so well, and these people are beneath me. That's why bear one another's burdens is tucked right there in verse 2. But then look right here at verse 3. This is the epitome of it. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are nothing, they deceive themselves. If anyone thinks they are something when they are nothing, they deceive themselves. This is the third time in a row. Don't be conceited. Don't be tempted when you're restoring people. And then don't think you're something when you're nothing. How many people like listening to 90.9? A little bit of wow, right? It, okay, I guess I'm the only one that... Listen to that. Do y'all's hands work? Is that, did y'all break? Hey, look, there's some hands. How many people listen to WOW Radio? Good morning. All right, we're awake again. Thank you, Gary. God bless you. I see that hand. I, I see that hand, Luke. Thank you. God bless you. All right, now I know sometimes we've got to change stations because they're non for profit and their equipment fails and you turn on the 90.9 ready to get down to some Christian jams and all of a sudden it's just. It's all right. They'll get the tower back up. It's going to be okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Just hang in there with them. But if you listen to 90.9, there's no way you haven't heard one of Casting Crown's newer songs. How's it go, right? I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about the somebody to save my soul. Jason, you want to do it? No, well, we won't do that. That's okay. We won't have to do it impromptu. I'm not going to do that to Jason. All right. 
That's an old preacher phrase, right? We've heard it in sermons and it got so popular they put it in a song. But how true is it? If anyone thinks they're somebody when they're nobody, they deceive themselves. That's this camp. I am a somebody. No, I'm a nobody. And I'm trying to tell everybody about the somebody who can save all of us. That's the Christian life. That's living out the fruit of the Spirit. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. And it's a subtle way of deceiving ourselves, right? This is the same way of deceiving ourselves as like the parent that is convinced that the teacher is the problem, right? We've got a lot of teachers in here. I know this is going to hit home, all right? That parent that calls you up and says, um, excuse me, I want to know why my child has failing uh, math right now. Uh, well, actually, uh, we posted all the assignments on Google Classroom. I've emailed you 17 times. Uh, I called you four or five times over the last two months, and your child's actually never logged into Google Classroom. And, and I've actually got the login records to show that your child never logged in to Google Classroom. Well, you were supposed to come to my house and sign them in and teach them the math and then do it on Google Classroom for them. This is your fault, teacher. My child is brilliant. Okay, I don't know what are you insulting my intelligence and my child's intelligence. I know, folks, everybody but that person can see they're deceiving themselves. Right. But they don't see it. It's subtle in that moment. You don't realize how absolutely absurd we sound. We don't see how we are demanding things that are completely irrational because we've deceived ourselves into thinking I am somebody and I deserve special treatment. But see, it happens so subtle. It's in our subconscious. And in those moments, we would never go, hmm, man, that, I'll really deceive myself there. You know, sometimes wherever you work, wherever you go to school, if every group of people you interact with moves away from you, if every time you get involved with a new group of friends or you get moved around to another position at work, if you don't get the promotion over and over again and you change jobs and they still pass you over for the promotion, at some point it can't be everybody else. It has to be me at some point. And if I can't come to that realization, I'm deceiving myself. And it's bad enough. Shame on you. Deceive me once. Shame on you. Nathan, deceive yourself Shame on you. Repeatedly deceive yourself, Nathan. Extra, double, triple, quadruple shame on your own self. And you know what's awful is that this is not something new. This is what happened on the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. We recognize this as Palm Sunday, correct? And so we know that this is the day around 2,000 years ago that Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time in his life before being crucified. And so he's going to spend this week in Jerusalem. And as he comes down the road, they're waving palm branches. They're laying their coats down. Hosanna, come and save us. Save us, Lord, please. We're here. Save us. But as they say, save us, they don't mean save everyone. They mean save the Jewish people. They're crying out Hosanna, and it's going to take less than a week for those shouts of Hosanna to turn to crucify him, crucify him, because they're special. The Jews were somebody. And if we think that we're somebody when we're nobody, then we deceive ourselves the same way the Jews 
did. They wanted a conquering king who would establish the Jewish nation over and above the Romans to rule the world. Folks, you can tell that the Jews, that they deceived themselves because of the categories in which they break people up. There's two categories in all of Scripture for all the people in the world, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews mean the Jews, and the Gentiles mean everybody else. There's only two categories. They thought themselves as a nationality, as an ethnicity, as a race, that they were superior because they were Jewish. And that the Hosannas were to save the Jewish people. I can, I can prove this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we see an interesting story. Jesus has been going around and working miracles. He's done incredible things in the city of Capernaum. And so when we find him in Luke chapter 4, he has gone to the synagogue there in Galilee. He's, he's there, and they are so excited that Jesus is there. And when he gets there, they're like, Jesus, could you please teach us something? We want you to be the speaker at today's synagogue meeting. Please, would you speak? Sounds great. So Jesus gets up. He gets to the pulpit podium area. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, him being Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth time out full stop jesus unrolls the scroll he reads these incredible words from isaiah he sits down isn't it amazing how history like turns on itself and like culture and society are so different like today i stand and preach and y'all sit but it was such a big deal to have a seat that Jesus hands them the scroll and sits down because there's only one chair. And the chair is the position of honor that the speaker is in. So he sits down while everybody else is either standing or kneeling or sitting down, crisscross applesauce, hands in your lap kind of style. And Jesus is there. So now all eyes are fixated on him because he's the only one seated. And he begins his sermon and he says, this very day. I don't know if he talked like that. Okay. This very day. This has come to pass. You have seen it with your own eyes. Everybody's stoked. They are blown away. Man, the Messiah is here. But they're blown away because when they heard Isaiah, they said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We are poor. The impoverished Jews. The Messiah has come to preach good news to those in the Jewish nation who are impoverished. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. We are captives. We were, captive. we were captured by the Romans, and we need to be freed. We no longer want to be captives. The freedom from the Messiah is for us, the Jews, who are captives of the Romans. And recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oh, we're so oppressed. The Messiah is here to free the Jews from their oppression. They're not thinking about anybody outside the Jewish nation. Because when Jesus clarifies they get furious. 
Listen to the murmur campaign that starts. They started to say, is this not Joseph's son? And then knowing what they were saying, he said to them, doubtless, you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Jesus points out that the work that God did through Elijah actually was reaching beyond the borders of Israel to the land of Sidon. Jesus is pointing out that from the Old Testament, from the very beginning, God's plan has been salvation for everyone. But the Jews think they're somebody special. They think it's only for them. And so he mentions, you know, Elijah could have gone and stayed with any Israelite widow, but God did not send him to a single Israelite woman. He sent him out of the country. Then Jesus gives him a double whammy. It's a double haymaker. Comes around from the other side. He says, and were there not many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha? Two of the most powerful, prominent prophets in Israel's history. Now we're in the ministry of Elisha. And none of those lepers in Israel were cleansed, but only Naaman, the general of the Syrian army, the very army that was oppressing you, their general was healed by Elisha, not the lepers in Israel. When Jesus points this out to the crowd, look at their reaction. When they heard these things, all Everyone in the synagogue was filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The Jews were so convinced that salvation was for them and for them only that when Jesus calmly points out, that in both the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, God intentionally included outsiders who were not Jewish. They were furious and tried to push Jesus off the edge of a cliff. That's why during this week, Jesus has a triumphal entry. And they're so excited because finally somebody has recognized how great the Jewish people are and the Savior has come to free us. And over the week, they realize that's not his mission. And that same wrath and rage and anger that they felt when Jesus preached in the synagogue in his hometown overtakes them and they want to crucify him. And his, his life and his ministry and his time here on earth before his resurrection comes to an end. This ties perfectly to Galatians chapter 6 verse 3. The Jews deceived themselves. They thought they were somebody special. When really they weren't any more special than anybody else. You see, but the inverse of this is also true. And if I can just be transparent with you guys, this camp over here is a lot more my speed. This, this is my camp. Over there with the arrogance and the cockiness and the God is so lucky that I chose to follow him. 
that's usually not the kind of pride I struggle with. I struggle with the kind of pride that says, not only am I a nothing, I'm less than a nothing. My personal struggle, just to be transparent with y'all, is I, I struggle to have any kind of confidence or, or belief in myself. I struggle over here that I, I'm not just a nobody, I'm less than a nobody. There's nothing that I do good. And when a person on this side of the camp evaluates themselves and goes, I'm full of love, man, I've got peace down pat. The people over here in this camp, oh, goodness, I, I haven't shown love to anybody today. I've been miserable all day. There's, if, if people looked at my face, they never would have seen joy on my face. My life has been chaos and turmoil in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit. And so there is no peace within me. So this, that, that's not part of the fruit of the Spirit. I have no self-control. When little tiny things happen, I have a fit of rage and, and erupt in anger. How on earth am I supposed to be keeping in step with the Spirit when I can't exhibit any of the fruit of the Spirit? I think through all nine and I haven't lived out any of them today at all. Maybe... Maybe this is your camp too. I don't know. Maybe you're the oblivious person. But folks, both are false. Don't be conceited. Don't be tempted to think you're better. Don't think you're somebody when you're nobody. But also remember that you have value because Jesus was willing to die for you. And don't think about it in the sense that he died on the cross for billions and billions of people. Jesus still would have died on the cross if it was just you. If it was just Nathan. If I were the only one separated from God, for the glory of God the Father and for the salvation of my soul, Jesus would have died for me. And that gives you value. You're not more valuable than everybody else in the world, but you are valuable. And folks, when we seek out the Lord and seek out godly friends to say, hey, how, how am I doing in keeping in step with the Spirit? How, how am I doing in living out the fruit of the Spirit? Am I being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled? Am I, am I exhibiting those things more than I'm not? As we evaluate those things, bring in people that know you well and love you to answer some of these questions and fight against deceiving ourselves. To think that we're worth everything or to think that we're worth nothing. Being deceived by somebody else is bad. Makes you feel gullible. Makes you feel dumb. Deceiving yourself is poison. And until you confront it and do something about it, you'll continue to walk through life and think, I don't understand why people can't stand me. I'm so awesome. Or you'll think, I can't understand how anybody can stand me. I'm so worthless. Folks, Paul says don't be conceited. Don't deceive yourself. And the absolute worst way that you could deceive yourself is deceive yourself into thinking that you can attain salvation without Jesus. You could deceive yourself into thinking that Jesus is not real. You could deceive yourself into thinking that these are all just fairy tales. You could deceive yourself into thinking that this book was just written by some random humans. It was compiled over thousands of years and some various church councils put it together to fool us like some sort of huge cult. Probably one of the worst ways that you could deceive yourself. Because it's all true. Jesus did live. 
Roughly 2,000 years ago, he did enter into Jerusalem to the shouts and praises of all the people. And over the following week, those shouts turned to those cries to crucify him. And he did die on a cross. And more than that, he was raised from the dead. Because he lives, we know that we can have life after death if we trust in him and choose to follow him. And folks, choosing to follow him means that you begin to live under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that slowly but surely, your life will be more defined by the fruit of the Spirit than by the works of the flesh. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to magically turn into new people. But we will be what Paul says at the end of chapter 6, a new creation. Verse 15, but a new creation. If you have trusted in Jesus, then that means the Holy Spirit came and lived in your heart. Let Him lead. Follow in His steps. Keep in step with the Spirit all along. Ask yourself tough questions. Am I loving, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled? Am I these things? Am I caught up in the works of the flesh? Do I think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread or do I think I'm worthless? Bring in people around you to help you evaluate and make adjustments. Don't be a Karen, right? Like if your name's Karen, I'm really sorry. But if you know that, don't be a, don't be a Karen. All right, Karen, I love you. All right, hang in there. You're not a Karen, Karen, even though your name is Karen. People who are Karens are the ones that have deceived themselves and they don't get it. Everybody else around them does. But worst of all, don't deceive yourself into thinking none of this is real. Don't deceive yourself into waiting and saying, ah, maybe I'll trust in Jesus one day. Give your life to Christ. Let him lead you. Surrender control of your life to him. And watch what he does and how the fruit of the Spirit begins to show in your life and how one day you can pass from this life and know with certainty that you will live in paradise for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are weak and we are frail. Father, even when we're trying to live for you, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing something great and wonderful when it's all by your Spirit, it's all by your power. Sometimes, Father, we can convince ourselves that we're worthless and that there's nothing good that we can do. Father, I pray by your Spirit you would break the bonds of deception. Do not allow us to deceive ourselves in either end of the spectrum. Lord, let us live for You. Father, draw us into asking the tough questions of ourselves. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has deceived themselves out of trusting in You, I pray, Lord, that You would move on their heart and draw them unto Yourself. That, Spirit, You would be working in their mind and their heart and their spirit to make them aware this is no deception. 
There's no snake oil being sold here, Lord. It is true and genuine salvation for all who would believe and surrender to you. Lord, we love you. We ask that in these moments of response, you would move among us, that we would respond in obedience. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.